Welcome, everybody. This is episode six of the Montrepreneur Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Herdesh Mata. This show features conversations with entrepreneurs, creatives, and other professionals sharing how they built up their career. Each guest on the podcast will share a mantra that they live by, which motivates or inspires them in their endeavors, hence the name, Montrepreneur. I'd like to introduce today's guest, Swapnil Sahai. Swapnil is co-founder and CEO of Mango Lit, a mobile AI platform for athletes, which has produced the number one downloaded iOS app for tennis, Swing. Welcome, Swapnil. Thanks for taking some time out to talk. Hey, thanks for having me. So before we get into talking about the app and Mangolytic, I want my listeners to get a better idea of your background. You went to Cal Berkeley, not an easy school to get into, and then you triple major, one of 27 students to complete a triple major and a minor. So you did economics, applied mathematics, and statistics, and then a minor in Chinese, and you actually were featured in the San Francisco Chronicle for having done that. So how did you manage to handle that workload and still pursue tennis and have a social life outside of school? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I just was always really good at the time management ever since I was in high school. I don't know. I'm not, I wasn't really the type of person to like spend like hours on like flicks or things like that. So I don't know. I'm, I'm just like really good with, with my time. And then I just prioritize my sleep a lot, too. And that helped me just be really efficient with classes and things like that. Another thing I was kind of famous for at Berkeley was that I would also uh, miss classes and like skip lectures many times um, just because I felt like it was sometimes faster for me to just read the book at home. And so that actually like saved a lot of time for me too. But I mean, the, the other thing was also like, it seems like I did a lot of majors, but there was a lot of overlap too in the classwork. So I didn't have to take as many classes as I would have if I had majored in like three completely different subjects. So, you know, there's like yeah. a lot of overlap. I was able to use some classes for both majors, things like that. So some of those things worked in my advantage. So while you were skipping these classes, what were you doing with your time? I mean, I was definitely like studying a lot. I, I, I played a lot of tennis, you know, hung out with friends all the time. I stayed in the dorms all four years. So I was just really close with, with my friends in the dorms and just like really took advantage of the city and, you know, tried all kinds of food in Berkeley and would go to SF every now and then as well. But I mean, obviously it worked really hard too, you know, so like a lot of my time was definitely studying, especially like towards later years. Gotcha. After Cal Berkeley, you went straight to Columbia University to do your PhD. So <laughs> got to work hard to do that. So how did you end up figuring out you want to do statistics, which is what you got your PhD in? Yeah, so it was really interesting. I actually, originally when I was at Berkeley, I was originally an econ and math major. And I was trying to do a PhD in econ because I wanted to go into quantitative finance. That was kind of my goal at that time. And I took a class, one of my like most important stats classes that I took was with um, Professor Adhikari. She's pretty much like the best lecturer I've ever had um, at Berkeley. And I did really well in her class. And she kind of convinced me to go more into statistics because she just felt like I'd have more options potentially and I could have different career paths. And so I ended up following her advice. That's when I ended up like adding in the stats major as well. And then um, decided to apply for a yeah, PhD in statistics. And you know, the other thing was also like, Besides my dreams to go to like quantitative finance and all that, I also uh, really wanted to be a professor because I knew I loved teaching. So I, I needed a PhD to do that. And so that's why I did that. And then once you got your PhD, you started working for Tesla, I believe, first as an intern, and then you got a full-time role there. And by the time you left Tesla, you had actually worked up to a position on their autopilot team where you were meeting weekly with Elon Musk, which sounds super awesome. How was that experience? And what all did you learn at Tesla that helped you in your startup? It was interesting because when I first 
started there as an intern in 2015, I had only taken like two computer science classes in my life. So I had a very basic computer engineering background and that internship really kind of improved my software engineering skills significantly. And then I kind of like networked my way into the autopilot team, came back for an internship the following summer in 2016, this time in the autopilot team. And it was crazy because I was just writing like C++ the entire time, um, which like as a stats major, you never do. So I became even better at software engineering through that and then eventually converted to full-time there. So like that was that was like the main skill I'd say I learned during that time period. But then also obviously working on autopilot, computer vision, doing kind of the state of the art in artificial intelligence and machine learning. That's obviously been extremely helpful um, for everything that I'm doing in my startup. So just got really solid fundamentals and how to approach computer vision problems. And then, I mean, working in, in the company was was awesome too. Just learned so much from, from the team. I think like it's a very special team, the autopilot team. I, everybody always felt like it's, it's almost like the first iPhone team. You know, it's just like, it's such a pivotal product in our history. And I think like being on that, like foundational team is like pretty special experience. And then obviously being close to Elon was um, extra special too. I mean, his management style, like all the stories you read about, you can see it in action. And it's like very inspiring to see how hard he works compared to all the employees. So I think I've, I've learned a lot just about how to run a company a little bit from him too. I still have like way more to learn, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely like being with him, seeing how fast he moves how much intuition he has for problems, like solving problems from first principles, things like that. Um, you just see it day to day and it, you see the benefits of it. Not much better of a person you could learn from in <laughs> artificial intelligence or business in general. So that must have been a really rewarding experience. And the team you were on actually does a lot of the autonomous driving stuff. So you worked on the cameras that help detect the lane changes, the steering acceleration, like all the new age technology mm-hmm. that Tesla's rolling out in their cars. In layman's terms, can you like explain how any of that works? <laughs> I mean, basically, yeah, the cameras detect objects on the road, which is what, what I worked on specifically. So like, you know, you'll detect cars around you, pedestrians, things like that. Um, you also can detect lane lines. This is all done from the cameras images so you know there's like pixels on the screen and like certain pixels correspond to lane lines certain pixels correspond to cars things like that and so you can train um, machine learning algorithms to like associate those pixels with certain types of objects that are important for your problem in this case you know self-driving and then based on that you can do some kind of like geometry and math to convert that into like 3D coordinates of where those things are in the world, like, you know, move them out of the image into the world and kind of create a scene of what's happening around you. And then based on that, you can kind of make decisions as a, as a human would. That was a really good breakdown. I'm sure it's a lot more complicated than that, <laughs> but that sounds really interesting. And getting that artificial intelligence experience worked directly into helping you start Mangolytics and your Swing app. I know you've been working on the project since, I believe you said, 2015. Yeah, that's correct. So let's get into more details about what exactly Mangolytics is all about and what the Swing app does. Yeah, for sure. So um, at a high level, Mangolytics is an artificial intelligence platform for athletes. And uh, we started it because we wanted to make professional grade sports intelligence accessible to everybody. So my co-founder and I, we met in Berkeley and we were both big tennis players. And we also watched a lot of tennis together. We've been to like many of the professional tournaments together and he's an engineer, his name is Richard. So, you know, we're both like engineering guys. We're both into the numbers and we saw that the pros have access to all this information. And we thought, you know, it'd be awesome if we could track that kind of data about our 
recreational matches because we'd understand, you know, what we need to improve and, you know, what we're doing wrong. And we basically didn't have any of that information. And so it's kind of crazy to us that like people like us who are not professional athletes don't have access to that. And so we wanted to build something to bring that data to everyone. And so when the Apple Watch was announced in fall 2014, that's kind of what inspired me to think of this idea because I realized that, oh, I could have this watch on my wrist and now I could actually analyze my motion and do things that I couldn't do with just an iPhone in my pocket. And also, I'm not going to take my iPhone in my pocket when I'm on the court anyway. So I just realized like it was a really unique opportunity. And so that's when we started working on Swing kind of like as a side project. And then eventually we released it on the App Store like in 2018. Uh, 16 and then from there it's kind of grown and now it's just morphed into like something completely different but that's kind of how it started interesting so i know you mentioned richard as one of the co-founders and then your team also has former division one tennis players and you have people that used to be product designers at Conde nest and such a diverse team how did you put that team together yeah so i mean it's really that that core team was pretty much just through my network so you know, a buddy of mine from high school, he ended up going to Berkeley as well. He played Division One tennis at Berkeley and uh, he's, he grew eventually grew into going into like more of a business development career path. So he's just been our business development guy now and he's just so solid. So that's how I got to him. And then um, our lead UI UX designer, Christina, she's also from my high school and she ended up going into design. And it was funny, like I hadn't seen her in, in many years, actually, but I saw her tweet something about product design. And I remember that she was on the tennis team. So I was like, oh, maybe she could be our designer. And so I reached out to her and um, she was, she ended up being super interested in what we were doing. So, you know, it was, it was mostly just like through my network of, of friends that I knew, which was kind of nice. And, you know, some friends at Berkeley, some friends at my high school in, in the Bay Area. And then, I mean, now until recently, it was pretty much the friends now it's now we're starting to expand to people who we don't even know but who are just also really talented so it kind of grew organically from your network and then expanded from there yeah what was the process of developing the app so i know you said you started in 2015 that it hit the app store in 2016 so how many iterations was there and how long does it take going from ideation to working app well the idea i had was actually like probably early 2014 honestly like I read some rumors about the watch coming out and I still have this saved on my phone like I I wrote down on my notes because I had this idea of like this watch app for tennis but I didn't really know how to code so I had to kind of like teach myself a little bit and then I reached out to Richard and then he kind of like he's much better than I am at coding so we kind of started to work together and teach ourselves um, Swift which is a new language that Apple released in 2014 for iOS Mm -hmm. development so we started coding it up in like probably that winter and then like leading into 2015 and then we kind of went through like a few iterations and once we brought in Christina which was like late or like the summer of 2015 then we started kind of getting some more like polished design and things like that but we didn't release it till 2016 because it just we, we kept like adding features and we, we shouldn't have done this this was like probably the biggest mistake we made but we kept adding like more and more like social features like oh you can like a match and then you can comment on a match and then you can you know do all these kinds of things that like most people probably wouldn't really care to do anyway. So we were just kind of like adding all of these other features. And then we ended up making it like kind of complicated because most sports tracking apps, like you you could just track the data on the phone and like see all the data there and that'd be fine. But we had to build this whole like backend infrastructure so that you can upload your matches to our backend and then like show it in a feed. So you have this like public feed of all the matches being played around the world, which is like kind of a cool concept, not necessarily a feature that like most users care about every day. And so we just ended up making like all these extra features and that's why it just took so long. And then, so yeah, then we ended up launching around like 2016. So there were were many different versions of it. Initially it was just gonna be like a, a score tracker 
then we ended up adding like social features. And, and so that's we ended up launching it as like this social score tracking app with some basic stats tracking. And then over time, we added in more machine learning features. So today's app, I know there's a free version and then there's some paid subscriptions. What are the differences mm-hmm. in what you get? So let's say I go download it on my Apple Watch. What can I go and do today for free versus as a paid user? Yeah, so the way we've done it is you can do everything if you're a free user, you just can't see everything. So to explain, like if you download the app and you go on the court, put the watch on your dominant hand and you like, let's say just hit with a friend for an hour. So you can track all the shots that you hit. And so like when you're done, you're going to see that you hit like 400 shots in an hour or whatever it is. But then if you actually want to see the data for all the shots and actually understand like, oh, how fast did you hit every single shot? Um, what kind of shot did you hit? So kind of like deeper analytics around each swing. That's where you have to subscribe to pay for that. So for free, you get to see some data like the last 50 shots that you hit, but then you have to like upgrade to to get more insight. And so similarly, we have some features like that around the scoring as well. So you can score your match on the Apple Watch and we'll track all kinds of stats for you and you get to see all this for free. But if you want to look at some additional like recommendations around what you actually did well today and what you need to improve upon, that's where we require subscription. So there's like a lot of the manual features and a lot of kind of like the high level data you can you get for free, but you can basically upgrade at any time and all of your old matches will be like upgraded too. So it saves all your previous data, even if you didn't have the paid subscription yeah. before. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we actually took that inspiration from Tesla because Tesla ships all of their cars with the autopilot system. So even if you don't pay for autopilot, you still get the system and you can upgrade it at any time. So we wanted to have something similar where like you don't have to be forced to upgrade like the first day that you download the app. We felt that's really unfair. So we wanted to make it easy for you to track all of your data and we'll store all of your data for free. But if you actually want to like analyze and dig into it, then you can upgrade at any time. That's smart. So you get the user experience with the app and let them kind of play around with it before they actually have to subscribe. Yeah. And then I also saw you had something where you can set up your, I believe your phone and kind of have it watch the court. And then afterwards, it can kind of show you your, I don't know how you call it. And I know in basketball, it's called like hot zones, like where you make the most shots, but for tennis, like where you're hitting the most aces and things like that. Is that? Yeah. So that's actually... That's actually an upcoming feature. So we're going to be releasing that this summer. Um, and that's where we're kind of moving the product towards in general is more towards um, a computer vision-based product where you kind of just analyze everything using the smartphone camera. So today it's in a more limited capacity where you can record your match. And then as you're scoring on your watch, we can kind of make the association for of when each point is happening. And then we make it really easy for you to make highlight reels of your favorite points. You can do that today already. But as you said, like the summer when you release the new features, that's where we'll automatically track like heat maps of where your shots are landing. And you can actually see like patterns of of shot selection and things like that. And then there's an artificial intelligence coaching built in. Is that something that's upcoming or is that current? Yeah, so that's something that's going to be more upcoming. So eventually, as we're tracking all the shots you're hitting, we'll actually be able to provide feedback in real time. So you can imagine, like, if I have my phone behind me and I miss a shot and it's because I didn't bend my knees enough, I can, Siri can basically tell me, like, hey, you need to bend your knees. You're not, you're not, you know, in position for that ball. So that's pretty much moving towards, like, an artificial intelligence coach. Oh, wow. And then is it going to, so I know like the new thing with a lot of the analytics in sports is being able to tell when someone is on the verge of getting injured. So do you guys have Mm -hmm. anything that might anticipate that? Or is that something that you're planning for the future? 
Yeah, it's definitely something that's in the pipeline. I think um, we'll address that down the road. But yeah, injury prevention is so huge. There was a big transfer just today, Juan Martin Del Potro, who just got injured and he has to have surgery now. So it's like, it's crazy. I mean, people's careers are ended. And even I myself had tennis elbow for about six months. And then I had a really bad shoulder injury for another six months, like a few years later. So I've gone through that as well. So I think like that's a a big problem in sports and definitely something we want to address. Makes sense. So I know you've worked closely with Apple for the apps. So I know you've attended the Apple Worldwide Developers Conference and you were actually Mm -hmm. a scholar there two times. So what did you get out of that experience of attending the conference? And how did that help you with your app development? The most of the conference is is centered around the new OS that's going to come out in the fall, you know, so they'll, they'll introduce like all the new features that are going to come out this fall and the next iOS. And then you get a chance to kind of like start working on implementing those features in your apps so that by the time it comes out, you know, the developers have their apps like up to date already and looks really nice with the new OS. So that's kind of the main point of the conference. And so there's like all these different sessions and talks on like how to implement different features, which are kind of technical. But I think for me, the most important part of the session is they have these one-on-one discussions. So you can basically book like a half hour slot with an Apple designer, for example, and they'll give you feedback on your app as if they were trying to, you know, give like professional design feedback, which is like amazing to have, you know, the the world's best designers basically giving you feedback. So, you know, they have sessions around design, they have sessions around uh, business and marketing, like how should you market your app? How should you, you know, name it? How should you price it? So those sessions were were particularly helpful for me Um, going there, you know, just getting like quick design feedback on like, oh, this could be a little bit more intuitive for the user if you guys, you know, made this feature in this way, things like that. And then the other thing is they also give you opportunities to tell them about other future features that you're planning to release and that gives them a heads up because then they can circulate it within the Apple uh, teams and then there's a chance they might promote you or things like that down the road. So I ended up when I went to WWDC last summer, I ended up doing that. So I, I told them about some new features that we're going to release around our subscriptions and how we're using the Apple Watch to track your swing automatically. Um, and so they ended up forwarding that to the Apple team and that's how we got featured on the Apple website last fall. You guys got swing on the Apple website is one of the top workout apps. And then Apple also in August 2018 demoed your app to journalists from Engadget, VentureBeat, Wired Magazine, a bunch of different spots. So how did that come together? That was mainly just Apple kind of doing all the work for us there. So they <laughs> kind of heard about our app. They heard that we were using Core ML framework, which is Apple's machine learning framework. So um, we were one of the first apps to use that on the watch. And so we actually have a small neural network that runs on the watch and it processes your motion to estimate what kind of shot you're hitting. So basically it can tell you whether you're hitting a forehand or a backhand or you're hitting top spin or slice. And so Apple thought that was a very unique use of that framework. And so they they kind of did the work for us and put us in touch with media outlets and things like that. So they've helped us a lot with things like that in the past and we'll do so this summer as well. And then with that, you've been able to be featured on the front page of the UK Apple Store, the US Apple Store. So is that all due to like the good relationship you have with Apple? Yeah, it all started like, I actually started like two years ago, probably. The head of the sports category in the App Store reached out to me um, because he was looking for a really cool tennis app. And so we just kind of established a relationship there. And then I met with him. Then, you know, we had some meetings at WWDC too. And so he's just been extremely helpful. And anytime we have any like major feature coming up, we just let him know. And they kind of circulate it within the team and they, they try to feature us at strategic times. So right now, you just mentioned we're featured, uh, this week we're featured on the front page of the UK App Store. And so that's because Wimbledon's coming up. So it's kind of a strategic time to feature a tennis app, you know. That's smart. 
good marketing for Apple and for you guys. So double benefit. In addition to the work with Apple, I know you've formed partnerships with WTA, which for the people that don't know is the Women's Tennis Association. You also, March of last year, became the official scoring partner for Tennis Alberta. So how were you able to form all these different partnerships with entities that are well-established in the tennis sphere? The Tennis Alberta one was pretty organic. So one of our users happened to be somebody who was like pretty high up within the Tennis Alberta organization. So he was an individual user of Swing. He just really loved the app so much um, that he wanted to use it for official matches that are played in Tennis Alberta. So he reached out to us to add some additional features for them around like live streaming and scoring. And so we built that for them and um, they ended up using it to broadcast some of the top uh, juniors, like 18 and under. Um, matches in Canada. So that's how that partnership came about. Um, with the WTA, it's more of a partnership with um, a specific tournament. So there's a WTA tournament in San Jose every year um, in August. And so we were actually out there last summer. We reached out to the tournament directors through um, one of the guys on our team who actually played pro. He ended up being number 600 in the world. So he's just really well connected with a lot of people in the tennis community. So he introduced us to the the tournament director for the San Jose event last year. We ended up getting a booth there to market, you know, swing basically. And then we'll be going there again this summer to demo some of the upcoming video technology. And then you were able to have Andy Roddick and James Blake. And for people that don't know about tennis, these are big names in tennis. James Blake used to be ranked the number one American in tennis at one point. And Andy Roddick, he's, he's a big star. How have you gotten them to be advisors for your firm? What led to that yeah. I guess, experience? And then what role do they serve? So we got to James first. Again, it was through the same friend I mentioned who played professional tennis. His name's John Lamble. So when John was growing up here in the Bay Area, he had a physio uh, who worked at Kaiser. And that doctor ended up making a product called Cramps Away, which is like the solution that you swirl in your mouth and it takes away your cramps in like 30 seconds. So a bunch of pros have used this, like top tennis pros and like pros and other athletes. And so James Blake um, happens to be kind of the main ambassador of that product. So, and then and then also uh, the doctor at Kaiser happens to use Swing because he has an Apple Watch. <laughs> so he already kind of knows about it. So John introduced me to the doctor, his name's Dave, and then, you know, through Dave, we got to James. So it was kind of just like a series of connections, basically. And then I, I went down to San Diego to meet James Blake and um, kind of pitched him the idea. He was very enthusiastic about it and decided to join um, our company as an advisor. And then um, we were just looking for additional folks who could help out from the tennis community. So he's really good friends with Andy Roddick. So then I, I went to Texas to meet uh, Andy Roddick and James Lake and got a chance to pitch to him as well. So it was a pretty cool experience. I was actually like, um, they were there for an exhibition match and I was there in the locker room with both of them and uh, John McEnroe and Jim Career. And so it was just like me and like those four legends just like in the locker room for six hours. <laughs> it was pretty funny. And then they were just kind of like going in and out, doing like various press events and like playing matches and stuff. And I was just there like on my laptop, but I got to meet all of them and I actually pitched to pretty much all of them. But uh, Andy Roddick was the one who was the most interested. So he ended up joining us as an advisor as well. Wow. So you definitely are using this six degrees of separation to your benefit. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. So, um, yeah. And then, and then um, so, you know, they've both been really helpful with kind of reaching out to other tournaments. So we're trying to expand our presence beyond just the WTA tournament in San Jose. So they've both been helping us with that. We have some really fun stuff lined up for the summer where they're going to be, we're going to be filming an ad with both of them to promote the upcoming video features. 
And, you know, we're also trying to do some even bigger partnerships with like potentially the USTA and things like that. So I think that's where they'll be really helpful as well. So stepping off the professional side, just from like a purely tennis fan perspective, when you got a chance to meet to pretty major people in the tennis sphere, what was that like? How did that feel? <laughs> like, I'm sure it might have been overwhelming at first, but how did you, how was that experience as a pure <laughs> tennis fan? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was definitely like so excited. I mean, I still remember, you know, like I saw James and that was cool. Then like Andy walked in and my heart was just like getting really fast. <laughs> like, oh my God, I'm like two feet from Andy Roddick. Like, what's going on right now? Then like John McEnroe walks in. It was just like insane. Like, they just, it just kept getting like crazier and crazier and I was just trying really hard like to keep it professional and like I really wanted to ask for a selfie or like a you know an autograph but I was like no like I'll have my chance in the future like what's not this is this is about something else today so I had to really kind of like calm myself down and be like no let's just focus on the business like that's what you're here for so yeah it was pretty funny and now you're gonna film an ad with them so I mean (laughs) it's all coming together So I know earlier this year, uh, I believe in January, you decided to leave Tesla and focus on the app full time. So I come from an Indian background too. And I know in a lot of Indian families, when you leave your safe, secure job with a big fancy company to do your own thing, a lot of questions get asked and there's a lot of chatter. So did you have to deal with any of that or how did you decide to make that leap? Yeah, I'm... Well, I'm really fortunate, like both of my parents, uh, they, so they both worked in the tech industry as well. So they've kind of seen the trajectories that are there, right? So they're really familiar with kind of all the different trajectories you can have within tech. And it's interesting because my mom's been at Intel for forever, like more than 20 years, um, whereas my dad has kind of jumped around to different startups. So they've both kind of seen the safe route, the risky route. Um, and so because of that, they were really supportive. They were actually like ask, asking me to leave Tesla even sooner. Like they wanted me to leave like last summer. <laughs> so they were oh, asking wow. for the longest time. My girlfriend who's in med school, we've been together almost eight years now. So she's she was also super supportive. And she, just like my parents, she wanted me to leave also like a long time ago. So I really kind of extended how long I probably should have been there. I, I probably should have left even earlier than I, than I did. But it basically got to a point where like I was, you know, I didn't have any choice. Like it was just so much of my time was being consumed with with Mangalytics. And I just, I, I, it was internally, it was hard for me. It's funny because like I had, I had all the approval from my family, but like internally, I actually was going through this conundrum. I was like, why would I leave this amazing job? Like, not only is it like a safe job, but also I'm working on such a cool product. Like Autopod is so amazing. You know, am I really going to leave like such an important product to just do this like tennis thing? Like I, I had some doubts about it, you know, for a long time. But ultimately, like I realized I just love really working on this and I've, I've like built a team and I owe it to them also, you know, all the work they've put in with, with like basically no reward so far, like no financial reward so far. So like I owe it to them to like carry this through, you know, so that's kind of what made me kind of make the jump. But yeah, it was definitely a tough decision. It was not it was not easy at all, but I'm glad with the way things turned out. And that sounds like you had the support, which is the biggest thing since a lot of yeah. people don't have that support system around them. And yeah, that was I guess, I mean, that's made, that made it easiest probably. It would have been very hard otherwise. I, I'm sure. So, and so when I went off and did my own business and things like that, I had support at home, but extended family. They had their mm-hmm. choice of words and things like that. But I guess like <laughs> the background also helps that your parents have seen the ups and downs of the tech world and seen both sides of it. Coming off of that, do you believe where you grew up, right near Silicon Valley, and where your position is, has that helped you have an advantage for your business or 
for yourself, would you say? Um, yeah, definitely. I think just having the entrepreneurial mindset, right? Like that that definitely comes with just the culture of being in the Bay Area. It's it's hard to avoid that. And then it was just easier to do certain things like like, you know, I mentioned we talked about how I had such this amazing network of people who are like so skilled in so many different things, like some of them very technically skilled. Um, I think part of that's for the Bay Area too. Like there's just such good schools here that I was able to find people just from my high school alone who were like so skilled in so many different things. So, you know, that's, I definitely benefited from that. And then also just like the VC community and like investor community in general, you know, is like so large in the Bay Area that like it's definitely a lot easier to raise money if you live out here than if you don't. So that helped a little bit as well. So for for someone that isn't in that area or doesn't have the fortune Mm -hmm. to be around that environment, what would you say to someone that is looking to start a business and what advice would you give them to get off the ground and get going? I think, you know, I I can't speak too much about like other industries, but at least in like tech industry, like building a software product has become so easy now. You know, even if you don't have access to like all the money and all all that kind of stuff, you know, you can still learn to code. Like, I think I'm still a good example of that because I didn't, I took like two classes. I've taken two computer science classes in my whole life and I ended up doing like C++ at Tesla. So it's like, you can, you can teach yourself to code. You can teach yourself to make apps. You can teach yourself to make software products. There's a lot of online resources out there. I think the biggest thing for people is kind of like taking the leap to, to leave their day job. But I think you don't have to do that. Like I was still able to work on this for a very long time, almost four years before I actually worked on it full time. So I think it's, you know, if you're, if you're able to like prioritize your schedule, like maybe give up some things that other, that other people get to do, then you can make it happen. Like I didn't, I didn't watch Netflix for like a year. I, I was so behind on like all the movies, like all that stuff. I haven't, still haven't seen a single episode of Game of Thrones and that's fine. Like there were other things that were more important to me and I was able to like put those things aside. So like if you're willing to just like prioritize your time and, you know, come back home from the end of the day, like, you know, reset, maybe have allocate some time to actually like work on a side project and eventually maybe it'll grow into something big. Maybe it won't, but at least you'll learn something from it. So I think like if you're willing to, just do that. And you're at a time where you feel like you can, you know, you don't have as many commitments. Maybe you don't have a family yet. So you don't have to like worry about kids and things like that. Then like definitely just go for it because you have the rest of your life to like do your day job. So I think if you have the opportunity and like you're lucky enough to have that time, there's no reason why you can't do it. And I, I completely agree with you. So you, you mentioned a lot of key points. I want to hit on a lot of them. You mentioned that accessibility of learning is at an all-time high. So you can go to Khan Academy, you can learn coding yourself. And then you talked about how you put off certain activities, Netflix, what have you, to focus on your goals. And that, I think, for our age group is a big thing because I know every week people would be like, did you watch Game of Thrones? And I'm in that same, maybe Mm -hmm. like 1% of people that has not seen a single episode either. (laughs) So it's crazy what people do with their time when they could be doing Mm -hmm. something else. And then they wonder what if I did X, Y, Z, or why can't I do what that person did? Because a lot of that grunt work is not pretty. You have an app on the app store that is number one. And that sounds great in theory, but nobody knows all the grunt work outside of the people closest to you and your friends and the people working with you. Nobody knows about the hustle that goes into the work to make that happen. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, yeah, it's part of it's just like this unknown, like you don't really know what it takes, but then, yeah, I think, it's 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 actually not that like crazy to do it you know you just it's just you have to really as you said like to be willing to like put aside some of the other things that like you're tempted to do and i don't know i mean 
it was pretty easy for me. Like once I just started doing it, I just got so addicted because I was, I enjoyed my work so much that like there'd be times where like my girlfriend wanted to like watch a movie and like I, I would rather like work on my, on my startup because like that was more fun for me. Like it, it sounds bad, but like that did happen sometimes, not all the time, but like, I don't know. If you, if you like what you're doing, like it's, it's just not going to feel like you're working at all. You're just like having fun. So, you know. It, it, exactly, and you combine your passion. So you're you're doing something tennis related. You're doing something where AI related. So you you put together two of your loves, and you kind of made a business out yeah. of it. And you have the support. So like, even though you were like, "Hey, I don't want to watch this movie right now," it wasn't like she's like, "Oh my god, I'm gonna break up with you." You have the yeah. support there where they're like, "Hey, like I'm there with you. I understand." So that's that's always great to have. So to wrap up, what would you say? has been your biggest success and your greatest failure thus far in your business? The greatest success in the business? I mean, I think probably it's just been the user base that we've created. Like we've created something that people actually love. You know, I I answer every support email that we get still today and we get a lot of them. And it's just amazing to see like how many people love it. You know, anytime they leave like feedback for us, they request features for us, even when they get upset, at us like that's a good sign for me that they actually love what we're making so you know it's like it's amazing to know that you made something that like actually changed somebody's life and like changes in our case like changed their tennis experience for the better and they're like so excited for like all the stuff we're going to make in the future they're, they're almost like fans of ours you know and they're just like they love the swing brand and they really want us to succeed and you know they feel cool because like they're the first ones to to use it so i think that overall that's just like been the big success for me Greatest failure of the business was probably just like spending too much time on the wrong things. Um, I think we were maybe a little bit arrogant in what we thought we needed to make um, for users. We thought that, you know, we we were like curators and we know what like the world is going to want. And that's that's like not true at all, especially in consumer businesses. Basically, the market decides what it, what it wants. And so, you know, we shouldn't have spent so much time on like certain features or like, you know, certain parts of the app because like, Ultimately, users didn't care about any of, any of a lot of those things. And so if we could go back, you know, I would have tried to like launch faster and just like make the bare minimum, but then like get feedback and like add those features that like people actually want. And I think we're starting to do that more now. So now we're like really careful when we add a feature to our roadmap, like we make sure it's validated with data that like a lot of people want it, you know, and, and, it's, and it's actually going to be valuable and it's actually going to change, you know, their experience and things like that. And with artificial intelligence growing so much, this question is going to be hard to answer because in five years, we don't even know where <laughs> AI is going to be. But where do you see the business in the next five years or where would you hope for it to be in five years? Yeah, I mean, well, I definitely hope that we're going beyond tennis, operating in multiple sports. But I you know my crazy vision for the future is like, you don't, you're not even using your iPhone. You just have like a drone like flying above and it just like records everything and like gives you feedback in real time. And it's just like, that's, that's just like the future. Like you don't even have to like bring your own device or anything and everything's just there like set up for you. And any, anywhere you go, you have like this drone with you and like it can just film you, like give you feedback, like whatever it is. It's almost like having like a little, like another person with you almost. <laughs> And like, I don't know, I think, I think like at least in sports, I think like that's kind of where we would like to be in the future where it's just, you just like have this assistant with you wherever you are. Um, And it just makes you like better at sports or better at whatever you want to be good at. It is what the future is coming to with the drone delivery and drone being used for everything now. So I'm, I'm sure it'll get to that point. My closing question is what I ask every one of my guests, and that is, 
what would you say is your business mantra or a quote that drives you to success? My favorite quote is probably from Sam Altman from Y Combinator. Um, I, I, he talked about this on like a podcast, but basically he said that uh, users love is all you need. And so I think that's what guides us. And so like if users love the product, like that's the most important thing. That's like the, that's like the driving metric. So if users don't love your product, like you're doing something wrong. Like if you're, if you're making a feature that somehow generates revenue, but like users hate it. And there's, there's ways to do that. I'm not going to name companies, but there's companies that do this where like they are so ingrained in your daily life that they could basically do whatever they want and you'll still use their product because there's no alternative or because society has just accepted this product so much that like that's the only thing that you can use and they'll make money off of it. And, and it's actually like making humanity worse. So I think like that's not something that we should do, you know? So that that's kind of the way I look at it is like, if we're making users happy, like probably we'll be making money too. It's, you know, and, and that's just like a better product to make. Like you only have one life. You should spend it like making something that's actually, you know, like making things better. So. Awesome. So I guess we can close on that note. I'd like to thank Swapnil for coming out and chatting with our audience. And uh, do you want to go ahead and promote your social media and website so people can find you online? Yeah. I mean, you can follow us at, you know, hashtag swing tennis. The account is swing tennis on Twitter, Instagram website is called swing tennis. And the app's available on Apple watch and on iPhone. Yeah, that's right. So it's available on Apple watch and iPhone. By the end of this summer, we'll be releasing brand new features so you can track pretty much everything using just your iPhone. Uh, and then Android will be coming next year. Cool. Look forward to that. Everyone go check out the app and thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next time. Take care. Okay.